welcome to episode 225 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I am Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? <sighs> nope, nope, bad question, actually. Shouldn't have asked it. How are you My doing? apologies. I am... Uh... Fair to middling. Uh, had some really rough uh, insomnia the last couple nights. You really have. Um, not really sure what to scratch that one up to, but uh, you know, as of Tuesday, had gotten a full a one full night's sleep. Congrats! Co- one combined over me. from all of the other, you know, from from all the little bits of sleep that I got here and there. Right, right. Uh, it was a little bit better last night, okay. but. Uh, Okay. Uh, I, I, I'll be dead honest. I didn't think this show was going to happen mm-hmm. just because I was like, you know what? I'm going to be too dead to write about this topic. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work out. Yeah, no, it, it didn't. But I got a good, I got a decent night's sleep last night yeah. and uh, got the show sheet banged out. And We had uh, a pretty decent discussion about it yesterday. And then today I pulled you some stuff. And I, I, I think I think your thoughts finally came to a, a nice cohesion. It was it was it was more. Yeah, it was it was it was just getting things settled. Everything was there. It was just more or less getting it all kind of in order and deciding on kind of an order for things and, yeah, and... getting rid of the anxiety of like wow, what the heck am I going to talk about? Yeah, yeah. You yeah, want yeah. some anxiety though? Oh sure, I'm sure. I, to... I love anxiety. Give it to me. So I'm going to let you guys all in on a secret here. All uh, right. This is live on the show. Sarah has no idea what I'm about to do to her. Oh. So first things first, she's kind of expecting this. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I just handed her one of our storyteller, storyteller conclave, conclave shirts. Conclave t-shirts that were uh, premiered at Gen Con. They were. They uh, were. Your wife Vicky was wearing one tonight. She was dinner, wearing one tonight, and, and of course, was... as per usual, got something on it. Look. <laughs> That it's is the been, standard. Look, look. The first thing you do with a brand new ship is you christen it by, Correct. you know, by getting something what, on it. One of one of our dear friends, after getting his truck, literally as he's in the lot of the dealership, looks at the guy selling him the truck and says, "Hey, can you give me a hammer?" And the guy's like, "Uh, yeah, I, I suppose there's there's one in the shop." And like one of the mechanics brought out like a like a rubber mallet, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Great!" And he literally just hauls off and cranks the door with it. Of a brand new car, he goes, ah, great, glad that over with now, no problems. Have a nice day. And the guy's just eyes are as what big as dishwasher. What the hell, dude? In his mind frame, once the vehicle has been christened, now you don't have to worry about, like, oh, I'm going to get a dent or a nick or something in this. See? 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 I guess. It just Fine. takes all that anxiety away. Fine. So the second part of this is the fact that while we were at Gen Con, uh, Sarah was nice enough to not only 3D print us our exact mechs that we needed uh, for our game, uh, but like slice them, put magnets in them, and then paint them customly so that we had these handsome models to take with us. Uh, and for that, my group decided they were going to pick up a gift for Sarah. Okay. Okay. Uh, and here it is, and oh. you can describe it. Oh, holy crap! You guys were not kidding. Uh, okay, so what I'm holding is a product from Game Plus. Uh, this is a miniatures bag, very akin to the one that I basically use as my standard go kit. Indeed. Um, so it zips open on the inside. So it's kind of a large cube, maybe one foot by one foot by about eight inches or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and inside is several layers of pluck foam uh, so that it's cut into like one centimeter squares. So you can yep. 
pluck out the little pieces in the exact shapes that you want. But the pluck foam actually has a hard fo- hard base on it. Yeah. So that, like, it's it's not wobbly. You don't have to worry about, like, your minis going into, like, a. you can go full depth, basically. On yeah, them. And yeah, They're yeah, pretty yeah. deep. And you've got three of those in there. So it's a, what, two and a half inch, two and a half inch, and it feels like maybe a three inch or something like that down there. Different. Well, there's, I think there's four shelves, because uh, this is, yeah, another two and a half inch. Yep, I got those. I got those first. You can and see. And then, uh, yeah, that's four two and a half inch uh, shelves. Yep. So that's going to be great. And if yeah. you notice, it zips all the way down on the backside. Yep. Instead see? of it being like a shelf weird thing. You yeah. Know? So you don't have. You, you can all probably hear the the foam sliding out of this thing. So you, <laughs> you don't have to like you know force it like that. Uh, but on the side, there are several uh, several pouches. They're all velcroed. Nice tight uh, velcro. Nice. Right oh wow! Yeah. Just like industrial Velcro. Yeah. Um, I bet that's coming across the mics nicely. Nice, uh, uh, nice big pouch on the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice big zippered pouch on the back, and some really nice sturdy nylon straps that are sewn into it. Yeah, this is a. Uh, it's pretty much like the the exact kit that I've that I've already got, but like mm-hmm. I am running out of space. You are. I put all of my miniatures in there, and, and y'all then know tucked that... in the side of that are oh. some other things. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I thought these were the accoutrement for the... Uh, for no, the just, just some minor things. Minor things that went along with it, so... Alright, let's see here. There's a large green uh, bag. Like one of the uh, the, the, the shopping bags uh, that you get for uh, reusable ones. Yeah, from Catalyst Game Labs. The nice big, yep, yep. Uh, nice big green uh, uh, symbol on there. For carrying nice. your mechs around in a, a proper Catalyst property. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I gave you one of the Mexamen stickers before, but you have a spare now. Yep, I've got a uh, got a new sticker. This, this is, I honestly could just put this on the laptop right, Probably, right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Of mechs and men. It's, uh, a... it's got a nice little, nice little readout here of it looks like a uh, summoner from the a... clans. Very classic, very classic. Very classic design there. Uh, we have a uh, Gen Con Pin Bazaar. It is a uh, a metal uh, and uh, a metal pin mm-hmm. with uh, the order of the miniature on there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a knight holding a banner and a uh, set a pair of tweezers. I think so. <laughs> That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, an enamel pin, and then I've got a couple of stickers from Wolfnet Radio, uh, which I believe you said was another was another podcast. Was it that uh, is the dedicated to? Yep, that's another BattleTech Battle podcast yeah. for you to check out. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate this. You're welcome. We appreciated what you did for us, and uh, yeah. it, it showed off exceptionally well. So, uh, you know, we wanted to support more of your uh, your mini and uh, painting uh, world that you've been involved oh, yeah. in. So 16-year-old me was, is, is, just, is just having a field day right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. so that was your surprise of the night. Your anxiety is now over. So. All right. Yeah, no more anxiety. That's the rules. That's right. That's right. That's, uh, uh... Let's see here. Gaming news. We've got Sean's game scheduled for... God, is it not... It's like not next weekend, but the weekend after. Yes. I think... I think that sounds right. Uh, Labor Day weekend, maybe? Or is it the weekend it's, after? It's the second. Yeah, so it's Labor Day weekend. So it's not yep. this weekend. It's the following weekend. So. It's it's the day after Wheel of Time Season 2 comes out. Uh-oh. Yeah. Someone's going to be a little tired. Oh, my God. We're going to work. It's it's three episodes. They're releasing the first three episodes, and you know we're going to watch each of them twice. Of course so. you are. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to try and catch Ahsoka this weekend. Uh, and and catch up on some Star Wars stuff just to mm-hmm. see how they did because it looks really good. Um, I didn't get to watch all of like Rebels and Clone Wars and all that, but I have enough of that in the back of my head that I'm looking forward to seeing how they handle it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So 
Yeah, I'm interested. I'm definitely interested. Um, so I think that's about all that's going on. Yeah. I mean, I did work on my um, tiny tavern concept. You did. Uh, a you bit did. More yeah. This weekend. Yeah. And kind of came to a head on the kind of theming that I'm going to go with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I might actually talk about that a little more in depth as I flush it out. But uh, it's nice to kind of have that creative inspiration hitting me again. Yeah, sure. And sure, I'm sure. mixing in some of the stuff I learned uh, from Gen Con as far as deployment. Mm-hmm. So uh, I liked some of the ways that the the GMs at various uh, tables uh, deployed different systems uh, to make it easier to get right into gaming. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of want to continue to utilize that. Sure. I mean, we have this concept of character building being a session zero thing necessity. Mm-hmm. When I feel like session zero could be really better used for developing more of the narrative when characters are given tighter concepts. It worked really well for my 7th C game, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the Children of Heroes game. Um, and seeing it kind of work itself out uh, at Gen Con in, in speed, basically, mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I think I think I like this. I think this is a good way to go for the idea. So, cool. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, something a little different. Uh, I I actually, speaking of, speaking of having an epiphany of, like, you know, g- getting a, a game concept solid, mm-hmm. um, so obviously my uh, God, I haven't even scheduled my next game yet. I you haven't. For, I was waiting for Sean to get his scheduled up, and he just did that the last couple of days here. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, it, it's it's all but decided that the next thing I'm going to run is uh, Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society. Mm-hmm. Next system, yeah. Um, and of course we we have both decided that we're not running epic, you know, multi-year campaigns anymore. Oh, no, um, no. And the idea, as I was actually researching this show. I got the idea to serialize my game. I think that's a great idea. Um, however many players I end up with, mm-hmm. do that many episodes plus one. Okay. And make one character the main character of each story. I like it. And come up with like a title and maybe even throw a couple dollars on Fiverr at someone to come up with some artwork for like the cover of the pulp novel that it is. Doc Savage style? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love it. With like the little 10, 10 cent symbol on there, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like that. Uh, I like that. So it, uh, that, could, that could be cool. That could I think be cool. I think that's a great uh, I think that's great. I think that's a uh, great concept. And then and then the last one basically being like the big culmination of of, you know, trickle some plot hooks sure. th- that's consistent through each one and then the last one like nobody's the main character and that's just kind of the grand finale where yeah, all those plot hooks come to an end. Okay. Yeah, uh, come to a, uh, a head. Um, one of the things that I might do is I might uh, uh, kick you the link to the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen style game that we did at Gen Con. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, I think you might get a kick out of the speed at which it was applied and how it played out. Oh, sure, I'd love it. So yeah, yeah it might it might give you a, a better feel for like they did this in four hours mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with no prep. Yeah. How did that really come out? And the thing, I think it came out great. Phenomenal. In, right. in honesty, so. All right. Uh, and it definitely had a serialized feel. We, we got we got some time, though. We do. We definitely <laughs> have some time. We definitely have some time. All right. We do but have an episode, though. We have a main topic. of Pulp and yeah. Doc Savage, um, this idea came, I think, while we were sitting... Uh, it wasn't at our main uh, story, kind of, or our main uh, show table discussions this came someplace else i think we were talking about whether or not we were going to do another show talking about pulp stories and you were just like oh wait a second we just did shang chi like that's 
there's some things in that that we need to discuss as far as other, you know, like adventure and other sh- other game properties that walk into that pulp imperialism, white, you know, white knighting, white savior, yeah, and white savior concepts. Yeah. Like, ooh, like maybe we need to talk about this. And then you started talking about your own adventure game and wanting to run it, and then like. Oh, I know more than I knew before. How do I want to do this? Yeah, I, I and this, I, I kind of wanted to, to to do this this episode as a, a bit of like a dialogue to myself. Um, we to, have microphones; they don't. Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> but but it's 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 a. I think it's a good discussion to have, and if we're gonna have it, we're gonna we should we should have it in public. We should record it, you know. Yeah. Um. And uh, be- because I am thinking about running Adventure Tales of the Aeon Society, which is a pulp-style game mm-hmm. set in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, you know, somewhere around there. Yeah. In the, the pulp era, essentially. And um, I'm I'm very weary of falling into a lot of these little storytelling traps of just telling really crappy stories with, uh, you know, racism and imperialism and, and stuff like that. Sort of those tropes. Sexism was in, heavy, yeah. In them, yeah. you know. And I mean, you know, sexism is a, is I would say more. Uh, it, it's it's easier to to address because all you have mm-hmm. to do is just respect, drink your respect, women juice, mm-hmm. and and you're fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but little things like imperialism, like you know, what what does that mean, mm-hmm. and you know, how do you avoid it? How what what does it look like? So you know how not to tell stories about white people essentially invading and stealing, you know, indigenous people's uh, artifacts for the sake of sake of you having a cool adventure. You know? Well, and also like genderifying them to their country standards. Yeah, whatever yeah. the invader is, because it they are no longer savages if they follow this way. Mm-hmm. That whole concept of of everything beyond the. Uh, the the uh, God what how is it the the civilized world is nothing but savagery yeah yeah um, so we'll we'll get there though yeah, um, yeah. I want to kind of start off actually not by discussing what you know racism and imperialism and white savior uh, uh, things are, tropes are but I want to actually just talk about what is pulp I think that's a great way to start because you and I started having a discussion and you were like what do you mean pulp and I'm like what do you mean what do I mean pulp I mean I mean pulp you know right and you were like well is this pulp is this pulp and I'm and I I started finding the answers a little more difficult to give you yeah I mean if we if we want to stick with okay literary dictionary identifiable terminology for what pulp is is it was writing at a specific time in a specific manner that was talking about uh it was they were quick short stories effectively mm-hmm. um that were talking about sensational uh and uh material i mean and they were done in a certain tone with mm-hmm. with a certain feel to them uh but the term comes from what they were written on which was really cheap paper really cheap paper because this was you got to remember this is post world war 1 um mm-hmm. the depression era yeah um you know there was an economic collapse and so you know the printing on nice stuff was not an option it like, was cheap you know mass produced paperback novels yeah. i mean in 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 stating about this so that it can give it just respect it is, it is a prolifically amazing how many authors that we recognize as masters mm-hmm. of sci-fi, 
of adventure stories who who formed much of our adventure lexicon that we have today as far as what we consider an adventure and how that adventure should look within movies and and TV mm-hmm. came from them as pulp writers yeah often yeah. by hot in some in, I think what was it um not Highline uh L Ron Hubbard had close to 30 different pen names so that he could write in all these different pulp places at the same time to make any amount of money because they were being paid between a quarter to a cent to sometimes as much as two cents a word. Mm-hmm. Not a page, a word. A word, yep. Which meant that, like, you were raking it in if you made, like, $10. Yeah, yeah. And these books cost a quarter, mm-hmm. like, a, between a nickel and a quarter to get. And they were escapism, and people traded them. The art from them came from the fact, like, the way the art was even designed. And, and I'm only going to go a little into this, is that... The covers themselves, the the even though the pages were very cheap, the cover was made a little better quality, but not by much. Mm-hmm. So when artists' renditions were then taken from the painting format to the paper, they had to bold the colors and outline things and use these kind of gaudy colors to make them stand out from each other, which is where we get that vividness from that sort of four color you know almost a they call it the golden age of writing but it yeah it, like it laid the foundation for that sort of four color superhero uh genre that came afterwards where yeah. we got like superman and batman from yeah where, where dick tracy's signature colors oh, and yeah. design comes from yeah, even to the movie format that came out they kept that because it it generated such a hard image of what it looked like mm-hmm. i mean i will dare say that what we ended up with in Sin City, the movie, mm-hmm. was 100% respectful of that, of that boldness and that that art style, mm-hmm. and all because of necessity. Mm-hmm. And sadly, a lot of those studios, their books were just burned at the end, their originals, their art was never sold, like it was attempted, but nobody wanted it. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, 50, 60 years later, everybody's wishing that those places kept that art because it was a sign of the times at the same time looking at some of that art you really understand what was going on 50 60 we're going on a century at this point for some of it definitely yeah yeah um yeah so it's a very it's very iconic uh style too um just from the from the style of writing uh a lot of these stories are like tales of high adventure. Like you mentioned, Doc Savage. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Dick Tracy. Um, uh, some other big ones are like uh, The Shadow, mm-hmm. um, The Phantom. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, a, a handful of ones that that that, that the you original would know. amazing stories. Yeah, came, which were whole anthologies of different stories. Early sci-fi. Early sci-fi. Isaac Asimov was one of the writers. Yep. Um, yeah, as I said, L. Ron Hubbard. Um, but but the thing the thing about the pulp though was that um, it it wasn't a specific genre necessarily. Mm-hmm. No. It was just kind of a style that was popular at a time that spanned a lot of different genres. And mm-hmm. so you can have like pulp sci-fi, pulp mystery, pulp horror, pulp western, pulp western. You know, all Cthulhu all... came out at this time. Like, uh, I think Cthulhu was a little earlier. I want to say that was more in like nineteen ten. But the the concept of the mysteries, I kind of want to all sit this within now. this. Actually, take a look at your timeline. You'll find out that uh, pulp goes a little later or a little earlier than you think. Uh, when was Call of Cthulhu? 
Cthulhu first published. Thank you, Google Autocomplete. Wow, February 1928. Okay, I stand corrected. And he, uh, uh, as a writer, was part of this whole genre. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it was mystery, it still sat within pulp. Yeah, mystery, mystery horror. Yeah. Mystery horror was was deep part of that because it still fit the same feel, the same style that defined what pulp was. Right, um, right. And there are some pillars to recognize it over novelization and some of the other things that were written at the time. As a lot of people said, like, when you're depressed, you're bare- you don't have any anything for food or, or water or anything, and you get a nickel to your name, you need something that's going to take you away instantaneously yeah, from that. Yeah, so, so some of the things that, that are earmarks of, of the pulp uh, style are things like action. Uh, characters do things to move the plot. There's, mm-hmm. It's not as focused on things like internal conflicts or politics as much as action scenes like chases and fights. Mm-hmm. You know, things happen. They get your blood pumping. Um, and and the characters do things that get that that instigate actions. You know, for instigate consequences. Yeah, this ain't your Jane Austen. So. Um, romance. Uh, romance is a big theme, and this is not just specifically romantic love, Mm-mm. but like love, adoration, admiration, respect, all as motivators for the heroes. Okay, mm-hmm. the heroes act because they care mm-hmm. about something or someone. Mm-hmm. Um, mystery. Okay, and not just a you know in the in the sense of a who done it, mm-hmm. but in the sense that um, there is a sense of discovery, there is a sense of the unknown mm-hmm. that the heroes must uncover. Journeying to the center of the earth, yeah. going to Mars, and and finding the uncovering there, being magically sent there by some means or mystically sent there. Sure, like all of these things that create this unknown, this wrapping of it, and and uh, an uncovering it to a degree, but without it being explained mm-hmm. fully uh and lastly and and probably most importantly hope mm-hmm. um like you said this was a very depressing time during prohibition during the great depression um you know a lot of people coming back from world war one that were like horribly disfigured and mm-hmm. stuff like that and honestly people needed a pick-me-up they yeah. wanted to spend their leisure time reading something that uplifted their spirits and so a lot of these stories in pulp and in, in, in the pulp style um are very hopeful. Um, mm-hmm. The heroes are larger than life. They're doing impossible things, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and the reader imprints themselves on the, on the main character, well, they're, you know, they're drawn right in to sit next to them while they're working on the plane, while things are tearing, you know, or chasing them sure, down. Sure. You know? you know, I mean, look, look at like Indiana Jones is the, you know, probably the most prevalent example of a pulp hero in mm-hmm. our modern, in our modern day, you know, like, when you when you look at that and you look at you know him like you know lashing his whip around a chandelier and swinging from it and stuff like that you know you feel like wow how how cool would that be to be able to just swing from a chandelier and kick a Nazi you know mm-hmm. like that'd be great you know or 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 bust out a window on a table and go sledding down the hill yeah to get away yeah you know um all of that feels extended right out i mean it's funny that harrison ford did that and then immediately steps into flying a spaceship away from another ship with giant deck guns like a destroyer Mm -hmm. and he hammers 
his ship to get it to go to light speed. Yeah. Like, that little kick that fixes the problem, you know? You, you've got that, you know, th- there's there's always there's always seemingly insurmountable odds, mm-hmm. but there's always that feeling that the hero is capable of dealing with them and doing, you know, pulling the impossible rabbit mm-hmm. out of the out of the hat, you yeah. know? Luke in the trench and Darth Vader about to take the shot and exactly. then his friend saves the day so that he can finish it, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's like the it's like the it's like the garbage compactor scene from the Dark Vader, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um so I you know, you you might ask the question then, okay, I mean I kind of we kind of started this discussion off as like, yeah. oh, this is this is there's these these bleak traps that you fall into. You might be thinking, like, this This sounds great. Like, what's wrong with this? What's bad about this? And the answer is nothing. This is great. This is one of my absolute favorite types of stories, in fact. And looking at, like, the earmarks that I've got in there, like, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just tooting my own horn here. Maybe I'm just seeing myself in the stars. But, like, I, I feel like the type of story I gravitate to is pulp. I, I definitely think so. Um. And so, you, you, whether I'm whether I'm identifying it as that or not, mm-hmm. you know, it inspires you. It 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 greatly inspires me. I like the feeling. I like the hope to it. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing wrong with that. Um, however, it does come with some baggage if you emulate it too closely. Okay. okay. Now, when I say emulate it too closely, um, we're not just talking about pulp style stories because pulp in its in of itself is wonderful Mm -hmm. it is pure it is innocent of any crimes it's never done anything it's wrong in its life and i love it um what we are specifically discussing is stories that take place during the 20s 30s and 40s that are set in pulp the pulp genre the pulp modern day um you know when these stories took place a lot Mm -hmm. okay so if you're going to tell a dick tracy story if you're going to tell a uh, Indiana Jones, Indiana story. Jones, or the Mummy, or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, um, this is these are the types of stories we're talking about, and this is where we start running into some into some traps. Mm-hmm. Okay, specifically racism and imperialism. Yeah. Okay. Pull on your two hundred two pants. It's about to get deep. <laughs> well, I mean, not not that deep. Not super deep. I don't, I don't but think it's gonna get that deep. But we're we're we're, we're bringing it. We're broaching subjects. It is. It is definitely the ugly side of pulp. It is. Um, and so, you know, once again, we want to get some definitions out of the way. We talked about what pulp is, what mm-hmm. pulp isn't. Um, so racism. Okay. For the function of this discussion, mm-hmm. I know it's got a lot of different definitions and a lot of different sociological venues and stuff like that. But we're just talking about the idea that racially or culturally different people are inferior to you. Correct. Okay. Um and I say culturally different because sometimes it's just that, you know, like, r- race doesn't exist. People have different pigmentations of their, you know, of their skin, but race is a social construct. Correct. You know, um, different cultures certainly, though, identifiably exist. Um, so it's not always based on the, you know, it, it, we, we like to think of racism as like, you know, oh, the, the, the pigmentation of your skin makes me hate you or something like that. It's not always that. No. Um, but it's just the idea that a different culture is inferior to your own. Your, your culture is the best culture. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where it leads into imperialism. Imperialism is a little bit different. Um, but it's, it's, it's what I would call maybe applied racism. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's the idea or act of imposing your culture onto another because you believe that culture is inferior to your own and you're 
helping them by making them more like you. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's not always helping sometimes, or I should say the intent to help. I help, help is in giant air quotes here because mm-hmm. it's not helpful. No. Um, it's not always helping. Sometimes it's just blatant disrespect for their boundaries, i.e. going to their lands, robbing their sacred tombs because you think their artifacts are neat and you want them. Well, because you're allowed. Because you're allowed to. Because you're civilized. I am a civilized explorer and archaeologist. You are just a savage who put a gold statue in a heavily guarded temple. That was kind of your mistake, right? I mean, you only put a number of death traps in there. If you didn't want your artifact to get collected and put on display in a museum, then you shouldn't have left it alone like that, should you have? Should have maybe added more death traps. You know? If this is all sounding very familiar, it's because this is the exact opening to Indiana Jones and the... Temple of Doom. No, no, no. uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Well, Raiders of the Lost Ark, definitely. Yeah. Um... And so it's it's kind of based on the idea that, like, they're savages. You're cultured. Mm-hmm. Um, you want that artifact for your museum because you're, you know, you want to study it and yours is enlightened. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, like I said, it's a very targeted type of racism that basically says your culture needs to accommodate mine because mine's better than yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of leads also into, like, the white savior trope. Oh, yeah. Um, you actually asked me too like the mummy for as good of a mm-hmm. movie as that is is that a white savior trope and i i kind of think maybe it is mm-hmm. because uh i would say no matter how you squint at it how you squint at it it does kind of come off as a white savior movie. now i'm not saying that's a bad movie i'm yeah, not saying yeah, that yeah, brendan yeah. fraser is not a personal god and we can all not agree that the movie has other connotations of reasons why you should watch it exactly and i i want to be very clear from the Okay, we're already past the top of this discussion, so I apologize for not putting this up front. But none of this is to say that any of these things are bad and evil and need to be canceled. And that if you you enjoy The Mummy and The Mummy, you know, made you bisexual like it did for me, then, (laughs) um, you know, that you're a bad and evil person for liking it. None of that is true. You can be critical of media and identify its flaws and still enjoy the living hell out of it. And I do. So that being said... That being said, the white savior trope is something we actually still see pretty commonly today. Yeah. Um, It's when an indigenous people are having trouble, and a white, often male outsider, needs to come in and save them because their own culture is not capable of saving itself. And we see this often. The, 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 The white outsider comes in and does their culture better than their culture can... And saves the day. Cough, cough, cough. Last samurai. Cough, cough. Yeah. 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 Good movie, but damn, is it a poster child for White Savior. Yeah. I I agree with that statement. I agree Um, with that statement. So, again, not a perfect definition. I am not an expert in any of these fields by any means. But these definitions will do for the course of this discussion. Yes. So let's talk about pulp and what, you know, it was popular during the 20s and 30s and 40s. Yep. You know what else was popular during those times? Racism and imperialism. Yeah. Because at that point, like, Britain was expanded. 
Like, we had, like, there wasn't a part of the world that Britain's finger wasn't literally steeped in trying to get its tea and spices and everything, right? Um, racism was huge, despite the fact that, you know, even in the United States, we had a lot of uh, fights going on. Um, we had equality happening. Women's The women's movement, which wasn't moving a lot, mm-hmm. but it was happening at that time. Yep, yep. Like, this was strength that was being given to people. Yeah. You know, and it was also a way out. But it was a, it was a, it framed it in what was already present around these people. Mm-hmm. You know, and in some cases was just something that ended recently, like in the case of some of the more uh, Western cowboy stories mm-hmm. and the glorification of, of going West. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What it was like out on West. It was harsh and dangerous, you know, because we had savages mm-hmm. on our Western front. Yep. You know? And we needed to tame the West. That's right. Because it was, yeah, exactly. It just, just awful. But at the same time, we had this, we had sexism still heavily handled in this as well like mm-hmm. the art was to say the least oh, yeah. in, in incredulous about it <laughs> oh yeah i mean look looking at it at some of the some of the covers uh of of these pulp novels and stuff like that i mean you could you could throw a dart and chances are better than not that you would hit one where you've got a like ray gun wielding you know chiseled jaw white male standing over a distressed-looking woman wearing nothing but shredded rags covering her, you know, sensitive bits to keep it PG-13. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, you know, it's very clear. And, and, and Or or a femme fatale who is, who is striking, but at the same time, off of her hip, she has a derringer in her hand. Mm-hmm. You know, and a cigarette in the other. And you, you never know if she's to be trusted. Yeah. You yeah. know? Uh, and then, you know, one of the other big tropes, too, is that, like, the mystery component, like mm-hmm. you, you know, you kind of mentioned earlier, um, often included, like, indigenous peoples being portrayed as backward savages, incomprehensible to the heroes of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's the mystery. How, how do these, how do these, these uncivilized savages do this thing? We must, we must investigate. Yeah. It, regardless of if those savages are alien yeah, or literally, I don't know, jungle people, which was right. often used. We went to the African Congo and blah blah blah. You know, right? Um, and, and of course, anything anything they do that's cool is like super mystical mumbo jumbo. You know, the the, the witch doctor trope and stuff like that yes. kind of gets played up a lot there. Yes. Um. And of course, you know our our, our white savior heroes went to these foreign lands, saved them from themselves, or at least had adventures in their backyard to the benefit of the hero and the disregard of the indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not every story. There was a lot of really great sci-fi. Like I said, Isaac Asimov came out of this genre and stuff like that. We're not... Clearly, there was a lot of stuff that did not include these tropes. But or, there or was a push, or pushed them in a certain direction, but you couldn't do much in the short writing that you had. Yeah, I mean, most of these people were trying to put out multiples of these 
weekly, if not monthly, because they, in some cases, couldn't own the typewriter. Mm -hmm. They were renting time on it, mm -hmm. which was highly expensive. They were put under deadlines by the pulp producers to say, you know, get me five stories. I'll take two. Yeah. So, you know, when you're dealing with those kinds of numbers, you're producing a lot to try and get just by. Mm -hmm. So. All right. So. So what's the problem? Are we saying that pulp is racist? I mean, no, no, not not at all, not at all. Like I said, clearly, clearly, there's a lot of stuff <coughs> out here. Um, or does it, your pulp have to be racist? Does your pulp have to be racist? Is is it racist simply because it's pulp? No, not at all, not at all. There is a tendency, however, for storytellers to want to emulate the source material that they draw inspiration from. I say this because I do. I mean, I, I look at The Mummy, I look at Indiana Jones, I look at Doc Savage, and like instantly when I'm thinking, like, oh man, I want to tell a pulp story, my brain immediately reaches for some of these tropes. Mm -hmm. without, without thinking, reflexively, I reach for some of these tropes, because on the surface, if you don't look at the cultural implications of them, they seem really super fun. Oh yeah. You know? I mean, who doesn't like, you know, what, tell me, tell me, you know, with, with the prevalence of D&D &D out there, tell me that people aren't itching to delve into an ancient tomb filled with traps, steal a golden artifact and get chased by a giant boulder while being pelted with poisoned arrows, you know? Mm -hmm. We love that. Mm -hmm. We love that. But in D&D, &D, it's fantasy people, fantasy races, and the people that you're, you know, looting the, in, in the dungeon are probably long gone and probably not still around to get angry at you. It's a culture that died long ago. Yeah. Or, again, even if they are still alive, they're fictional. You're not stepping on a true... Like, it's still an imperialism trope, don't get me wrong, mm -hmm. but, like... You're not actually stepping on a real person. You know, it's like feeling bad about killing people in video games. You know, they're pixels. They'll be fine. They're, they don't They don't actually have feelings. Same thing for fake people in fantasy stories. Like, it's fine to an extent. But, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the people who play Call of Cthulhu probably read a lot of Lovecraft. Mm -hmm. People who, you know, play fantasy games or at least are really into D&D have probably read Ari Salvatore or Tracy Hickman and Margaret Weiss, the Dragonlance novels. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we want to we want to read those books. And then when we yeah. read those books. We're like, oh, man, we, what if we could do this something like this in, in our own games, you know? Right. And you feel the same way about Pulp. I mean, I think the same thing happened with a lot of directors as movies started coming out. They had read the same pulp novels, mm -hmm. got the same excitement out of them. And we ended up with things in the 70s like Barbarella. Yeah, yeah. Which, if you haven't seen it, it's pulp. <laughs> it's sci-fi. Buckle up, Buttercup. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh. You know, and, and we we do want to we we all want we all want to have those Indiana Jones moments, you know. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's also a crappy imperialist racist thing to do, you know. It, it belongs in a museum. No, Junior, put the thing back where you found it, or so help me. Yeah, and 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 I will say this: one of the traditions of pulp, as we recognize it, is that. We recognize within Pulp that the bad guys are often Nazi-like. Mm -hmm. And 
we can say it pretty much still as a as a cultural thing that it is still okay to punch a Nazi. It's always appropriate to punch <laughs> like, Nazis. There is never a time in your story when a Nazi should not be punched, and that isn't okay. You know, S- sadly relevant statement of values, Rob. <laughs> I'm just I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. But the the truth of the matter is is that that is an acceptable part of pulp that kind of has carried forward mm-hmm. and marched on, if I can use the terminology. Yeah. 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 Well, no, I mean, like, like Nazis kind of make the perfect villain, honestly, because they are just so objectively evil from every angle you look at them that uh, e- anything even approaching a Nazi is just just becomes more punchable ex- logarithmically as you right. approach it. But within Pulp, there is no question that you are punching a villain. True, that, and that is one of the things about it that really helps define that. There's kind of that 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 not it's not as black and white necessarily, but like it's you you get you get like just two you get light gray and dark gray is what you get. You know, there's there's and never see, that's, the, that's the part that I disagree with you on, and I, it's okay. Like that's I think that is the subtleties of in the divergences of newer pulp mm-hmm. versus old is that it was very obvious what was evil and, and wrong and who was wearing a black hat and who was wearing a white hat in pulp because you didn't have time for gray. There was no conversational time for uh, gray. That, that's true. I suppose if you're, if you're talking about, about, about actual like traditional pulp, I, I, I admittedly have not read as much of it as I, I probably should. And the stuff that I have read of it is mostly Lovecraft. So, but I don't think you need to, I think you understand it like any good meal. You don't need to have a Wagyu steak to know how you'd want to make one. Yeah, yeah, that's for fair. your friends. So, um, but you know, not not only are we compelled to like emulate the the source material when we look to it for inspiration, but you know, there's also that that the concept of oh, it's realistic. Mm. It's just how things were back then. We're playing a game in the 1920s. Of course, I'm going to include racism in my in my stories. Of course, women and minorities are going to be treated like absolute crap, and gay people are going to be completely unheard of. You right. know, they're they're because they just didn't be, exist back. They're then. only going to be art and ideas, and they're going to have to hide it. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So, okay. The, the The fact is, these are our stories. Okay. We make them what we want at our tables. Mm-hmm. And nothing needs to be included that we don't want to include. Right. Right. If we can believe in a world... In a where, world. In a world where Indiana Jones can just magically wrap his whip around a chandelier and then swing across a ballroom on it, kick a Nazi in the chest, and then it magically unwraps, and the chandelier could also hold the weight of a full-grown man without tearing out of the ceiling? Until after he's done. Until after he's done? Then we can believe in a world where racism, imperialism, and sexism isn't included in the story. Sure. I agree. Okay. That's not a huge suspension of disbelief. Mm -mm. We don't... It's not, quote-unquote, more realistic to to do that. No. Um, It might still be present in history... It just doesn't have to be an element in our story in a significant way. For example, frequently I've talked about how we have a character at my table. Player. Or, sorry, a player at my table uh, who has a strong aversion to drowning. He is a, quite the character, it but is, he is It a is an extraordinarily triggering, triggering subject for him. Yeah. And so I have agreed that inclusion of any subject of drowning will not be present in my game. Mm-mm. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that nobody magi- you know, magically nobody drowns in Tamriel. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, it doesn't mean that water functions different in Tamriel. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sure, sure people drown all the time there. You know, mm-hmm. it's just never going to happen in my story, mm-hmm. and it will never be a direct danger to our players out of respect for this player mm-hmm. or character. Yes, I I also will not drown my players. That's fair. Um, water is is to be an obstacle. Mm-hmm. It's not to be a hazard. And I feel we can treat racism and sexism the exact same way. I don't see you know? why not. I, I, I'm, I'm sure people are crappy to women and minorities in Tamriel somewhere. Mm-hmm. They're, they just never are in my game. Mm-hmm. Now, a dark elf being crappy about someone being a Khajiit—that's culturally different. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit. It is. You're, you're doing a racism there. I'm, I am doing a racism there, but it's fantasy racism. No Khajiit were harmed. <laughs> It It is different when, I, I will say this, it is part of the lines and veils of what is acceptable. And that is your choice as the storyteller to bring that veil in until someone draws a line. Correct. And I also never dwell on it, and it's no. also never a major plot. It's usually a character making a backhanded compliment at a character or something yeah. like that. I think if any of your players delved into it and like explored that yeah you would have a problem with I it. I probably would, yeah. But as a as a flavor element to understand the 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 framing of where certain individuals are coming from and why, because in your game, slavery is a thing. Mm-hmm. It is just not a present thing. It is mm-hmm. a, it is a background disgust thing. And it is always painted as a negative. Correct. And you're Defining it as such, so racism is going to be there. You know, elitism is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, imperialism, to a degree, is there. I mean, when there is an empire, Correct. you guys live in it, right? And and the conquering of individuals are is definitely a historical thing, and genocide is a thing. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that it has to be an active part of the story. The players are not committing genocide. Genocides are not committed against them. Yes, exactly. In, in the name of exactly. imperialism. Exactly. So, so ultimately, there is so much room and pulp for other types of stories mm-hmm. that either don't don't include these tropes or that actively avoid these tropes. I agree. Um, you know, we reach for Indiana Jones because it's popular and it's easy, and Harrison Ford rocks, and it's a great modern example of pulp. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's something that's that's I think everybody knows because it's had such a cultural impact. Yeah. Um, even, you know, the mummy, Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weiss is a great example, but it also falls into the white savior bit. Mm-hmm. It's a fundamentally Egyptian story and there's one Egyptian character in the, in, in, you know, or main character, I should say. Yeah. There's Egyptians all over the place, but only two of them really have speaking parts and one of them is a bit character that's basically the librarian. Yeah. Um, other than of course the titular mummy, who is more of a monster than a character. Agreed. Uh, but, you know, these aren't the only models for pulp that we have. You know, mm-hmm. look at the list of qualities again. You've got mystery, romance, action, hope. Mm-hmm. That's most of the games I run, mm-hmm. you know. And those don't say you have to go to foreign lands. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, de- to to meddle in the lives of indigenous peoples. You don't have to steal their sacred artifacts, etc. It's not a formula you have to follow by rote. No. Pulp is a very broad umbrella. And there's a lot of things that fit underneath it. Mm-hmm. And it also doesn't say you have to play a white, male, straight, cisgender character either, you know? In fact, there's quite an allure 
I would say, to telling heroic stories about queer people, people of color, and women, often because those stories don't historically exist. Mm -hmm. You have the chance at your table to tell the stories you would have wanted out of the pulp genre. And I think that is part of the beauty of going into pulp, not unlike punk. Mm -hmm. Punk is a, and I'm going to say it, punk is an extrapolation of pulp at a very far end of the scale, so much that you don't recognize it. You have the same hopes, but it's done in a dystopian state. You have the same adventure, the need for action, uh, romance in the sense of who and where you are of this dreamscape of Blade Runner, right? But at the same regard, everything else is turned on its head. You still have a sense of Im- an imposition of a of light and dark, but it is at a far like it, it's been translated so far to it. No, I'm following you. Pulp was a bright shining future written so that people in a crappy time could escape it. Correct. Whereas punk is characters that are bright and shiny and hopeful and railing against that. Rallying against the dark. But the dark is in their stories, Correct. not just the... It's not the reader that, that that is in the dark and the world is the light. The world is the dark and the characters in it are still doing the pulpy things, but the world sucks. Yeah. Yep. And it puts the rest of the things that we've just discussed to the side in many cases. You still have elitism and egalitarianism, but like, sure, now this person looks like an elf. Mm-hmm. or looks like a dwarf, or has robotic parts, or whatever, and they're all part of a different society, a different culture that yeah. sits above you, Yep. yep. right? It doesn't matter that you're trying to get into the club. The troll bouncer outside makes more a, makes more a night than you make a year, mm-hmm. and he knows that. Mm-hmm. And that's why he has his cyber-jacked arms and his eyes to tell you to get the F out of here. You know, and but it's still there. That's still the the little guy. But the difference, the other difference of that is because it's the little guy story. These people, in some cases, in, in cyberpunk, you have professionals doing professional heists, like in the case of like a Blades and the or Forge in the Dark style cyberpunk story, right? Or you have the you know uh, everyday man tossed into a terrible situation cyberpunk stories. Mm-hmm. But it still fits within a framework of pulp that is drastically different than what we would recognize Mm -hmm. as pulp. But I still think based on the colors, the art, the feel, it's all still there. Yeah. Okay. Hidden in the covers. You can still see it. Rob. Okay. Okay, Rob. Yeah, I'll go with you on that one. Uh, So one thing I did was I kind of looked at other game systems for advice. Sure. Uh, And uh, we, we believe it or not, we've system spotlighted both of these Mm -hmm. um, on the, uh, on the channel here. And, uh, so the two games that are set during the 1920s mm-hmm. that I could, that I could think the most actively. of, actively think of are, uh, Adventure Tales of the Anne Society mm-hmm. and Zhang Shi Blood in the Banquet Hall. I think both are, are, are solid examples to talk about. Published 20 years apart from each other. Strange. And, <laughs> uh, have very different things, I think, to say on the subject of racism and discrimination. Mm-hmm. So, starting with um, with Tales of the, Adventure, Tales of the Anne Society, um, published by White Wolf in two thousand one. Uh, small, there's a small section on page two nineteen, back mm-hmm. in the storyteller section, mm-hmm. 
um, subheaded discrimination. And it basically says discrimination was a thing in the early 20th century, um, and here's how to include it in your game without being too heavy-handed about it or making any of your players feel too bad about it. Um, and that if they do start feeling bad about it, step back and examine how you're applying it in your game. Hmm. Not, it shouldn't be applied in your game, or here's how to do it without applying it. It's, it kind of states it as like, yeah, it, this is a story about the 1920s. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, there's, of course you're going to have discrimination in your story. Mm-hmm. But here's how to do it without feel, making your players feel crappy. Yep. And it's really not that big of a how-to guide either. It's more of like a, yeah, just don't lay it on too thick and don't direct it at any one player. Right. That's that's basically it. Um, there isn't really an option not to do, not to include it. Um, there's a presupposition that you will be emulating the social environment of the 20th century uh, or of the early 20th century, but you won't be directing it too much. Uh, at a player, and it says it even specifically mentions like a white woman and a black man traveling in, in the Afri- in the American South will raise eyebrows. But putting a lynch mob in your game is probably over the top. I should hope so. I should freaking hope so. Um, now you kind of contrast that with Shang Chi: Blood in the Banquet Hall, mm-hmm. published by Wet Ink Games in 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a game about Chinese American immigrant family running a restaurant in San Francisco's Chinatown in the 1920s. It's very specific and also very fun. If you haven't listened to our system spotlight on it, you should go back and listen. Go go back and look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a lot more to say on the subject of how it handles racism uh, in there, but I will give you the cliff's notes here. Um, it starts off, and I mean starts off with 70 pages. <laughs> of cultural background and context at the front of the book here, written by Chinese-Canadian immigrants knowledgeable of their own history and culture. Yeah. Okay. So this isn't just like a white person going, oh, yeah, this is what Chinese people are like. No, it's yeah. like, you know, uh, it's it's an invitation to understand that culture mm-hmm. and partake in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, there's a discussion of how racism is important to the part of the story because it informs the context of the culture it exists in, right? Racism shaped a lot of how those Chinese immigrants did things, how they dealt with the world, why they formed Chinatowns, you mm-hmm. know, to essentially huddle together for warmth and solidarity against people who were very unwelcoming and racist to them as they were trying yeah. to carve their way and, and, you know, make a new life in America. Um. And it also includes a discussion on how to handle these topics at the table. Um, a lot of it is stuff like not getting into specifics and, and saying slurs. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say like, you know, that the, the police officer slams his billy club down on the table and calls you a slur. You don't. We don't have to hear the slur. It's not necessary. It's it's fine. We get it. Mm-hmm. The police officer is an asshole and a villain and. We, you know, we we don't need to say ugly things for you to get the point across. Yeah, clearly a racism. Yeah. Um, also, like, not doing bad accents. It's not necessary. And, you know, relying on, on, on stereotypes and stuff like that. It's just it's just not necessary. Yep. And it, it, it goes on. There's, there's quite a bit of really good information in there uh, of how to handle things delicately. Yeah. A good pickup, if you're, if you're ever looking to get into that time period... Even if you're not specifically doing Chinese-American stuff, 
it's a great read about investing time and thought into other acting mm-hmm. out other cultures yeah in a game absolutely i, I, I still reckon like if you're one of those people who collects books maybe not to run the game but to take from it knowledge and understanding put it on your shelf yeah absolutely. worth it 100 worth absolutely it. Just, play just, it but... just as valuable of a read as it is a game yep um all right so what conclusions are we drawing here it was a really crappy time in the early 1900s it really was like the war sucked after the war sucked worse. The Depression sucked worse. Really, yeah. really sucked. Like, if you... Uh, <sighs> Prohibition caused more problems than it solved. Yeah. Um, a lot of people... A lot of authors got drunk and died. Yep. So, uh, but just to say that we don't have an understanding. This our, our current society does not have an understanding of just how bad it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are individuals in our society who do. And if you're listening to this... I feel for you because there are places right now that are feeling some of the effects like the depression had. And I would never want to live in that. I am very blessed to be where I'm currently sitting and sipping tea. Mm -hmm. That being said, understanding where that the, the, the dire need for hope and escapism came from makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And we also had a lot of really like, crappy backwards cultural ideas during that time you know oh god yeah uh women right around that time had just gained the ability to vote mm-hmm. uh black people wouldn't gain that for quite a bit longer yeah um you know and we ha- we can have a lot of fun telling these sort of wonderful action pulp filled stories in these times without stooping to a lot of the other crap um, pulp is a very big umbrella that fills a lot of different story types under it. Agreed. Uh, and they don't have to be about bothering indigenous people or painting them as savages or villains and stealing their stuff and saving them from themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, these sort of tropes are very common in the source material, not mandatory at all. Yeah. Um, and we likewise have a choice of how closely we want to emulate the real those realities at our tables. Mm-hmm. You know. There's always the big discussion about verisimilitude versus reality. Mm-hmm. Reality sucks. Mm-hmm. All you really need is verisimilitude. Mm-hmm. There's nothing realistic about Dungeons and Dragons, but we all we all agree that there is an internal consistency, and that's called verisimilitude. Yeah. As long as that internal consistency is upheld, you have a sort of local reality that everybody's agreeing to. And if your local reality includes women and minorities being respected as equals, mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if we can believe that the shadow can cloud men's minds mm-hmm. to turn invisible, yep. then we can have a black lesbian woman graduated at uh, MIT at the top of her class and respected scientist worldwide. And nobody sees a problem with that. Yep. We don't need to call her slurs to make the story work. No. Nor do we have to have a, a racial indignance against her. Mm-hmm. Be a villain. Exactly. So I agree. I agree. Well, thank you for going with me on this trip. Yeah. Like I, I said, it was kind of a dialogue to myself. I needed to work through this. No, I I, I think I think it was a good walkthrough. I think it, hopefully for our audience, it also shines another light on those kinds of questions and things that come around. But I would say, um, as in a broader sense, at the end of this, if you're still with us, listeners, uh, ask the question in your mind as a storyteller is, 
especially if you're doing something like D&D where you're dungeon delving, right? Mm -hmm. These people are going into cultures and taking things. Is that cool? Yeah. Like, how does your story accept this? Mm -hmm. Like, is all the adventurers effectively imperialists? What happens to these artifacts? Mm -hmm. Do they go to the rich? Yep. Or do they just get pawned off? And again, nobody's saying you're bad or evil or need to be canceled or anything like that. Nobody, please do not read that into here. But just think about the media you are creating and consuming and just be just be mindful yeah. about what you're, what you're putting inside you and putting out of you. So one of the things that came into my headspace as a story concept mm -hmm. is a D&D &D story mm -hmm. of adventurers who... Now that they're done adventuring, have recognized the harm they did, mm -hmm. and much like leverage, are going and stealing back from the rich and returning things to their cultures. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I think that could be an equally as interesting story. All right. Let's so. go steal water deep. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. All right, so, so we did, we did have a, a couple questions all from uh, from Nevim. Today. Thank you, Nevim. Yeah, thank you these very are, much. Nevim. Some some of these really scratch your brain a little bit. I, I had to look up a new word. Yeah. Uh, do you have to play pulp games in that kind of nineteen twenties thirties era? No, absolutely not. No, no, absolutely no. Not. Pulp, pulp is a style, not a specific time period. The course of this discussion was about that time period. Um, for framework, for for framework, uh, because I do like that time period, and I would set my my future adventure game there uh but no you do not need to play pulp uh, i mean argu arguably if you're playing savage worlds you're already playing pulp it doesn't matter what story you're telling right um so nope no nope. yeah just stick to the stick to the standard pillars have a lot of action yeah um have a lot of um you know action comes first yeah action action should not be before narrative in that sense and we're not saying action as in combat mm -hmm. just activity like everything should feel dramatic yeah and move you to the next moment where the only downtime they have is a few breaths as they plan the next thing because if you can count the number of minutes mm -hmm. in an indiana jones movie where indy isn't doing in, something is an active in action of some kind he's traveling somewhere he's sneaking somewhere he's dis actively motivating someone well, in a even discussion the travel sequence don't take more than 30 seconds and it's literally a red line with a bunch of quick shots yeah 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 but if it pauses on one of those travel things action is happening mm -hmm. like it there is no town time like except for to flashback at something what i'm saying though is that he's yeah. moving yes yes you know even even travel is movement, movement. Yeah. you know um romanticizing of the places yep are great of the cultures another wonderful thing mm -hmm. um a lot of stories do this where suddenly like there's a point where all the characters kind of just pause in awe of like a festival that's going on and they mm -hmm. get dressed into it and they dance around with the music and that's a brief thing you see that in 007 you see that in a lot of stuff where like they just kind of immerse themselves in the culture for a short period of time that's perfect that puts you into the flavor of pulp without a doubt uh your heroes should also be very capable yeah um more more almost often than not your your characters should be should be able to handle the things that they are given um, they should be able to accomplish the impossible and great daring, daring feats and stuff like that, and should win at the end of the day. 
you know, that, that sort of stuff. And one of the things that we kept hearing through all of this in, and it's, I think it's something that's hidden in pulp Mm -hmm. in plain sight. And that is the daring escape. Mm -hmm. They're always put into some horrific situation, which any normal person would just die. Yep. And, Somehow they pull it off. And either by skill or by luck. And see, this is why I like Savage Worlds so much. Mm -hmm. Because it includes the wild die. And you ask yourself, what is the wild die? Why do I even get that on skills that I don't have? Because you will either succeed because you know how to do the thing you're trying to do, or because you're the main character. Yeah, like Indiana Jones in a refrigerator at a nuke. Explicitly (laughs) stated, you will either succeed because you can do it or because you're the main character. Main characterism. (laughs) So so the answer to short is no. It does not have to be during that time. Uh, What games you know of dive into pulp without the troublesome imperialism or colonialism? I think a lot of games move into it without stating that they're pulp. Yeah, I agree. Because the moment they do, they run the risk of someone saying, oh, you mean it includes racism and colonialism and white knighting? And, well, yeah, that's, you know, and sexism? No, that that's not what we're doing here. We're mm-hmm. just, you know, and, and so a lot of them use other terminology for the same thing. Yeah. Um, pretty much any place, any of the systems that, any games that I would think of, like Savage Worlds, where action comes first, uh, Blades in the Dark, could be very much pulp. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, because action comes first. Movement comes first. Um, I think that's where you're going to see it. That's where you're going to feel pulp. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah, the, the thing is, like, if, if, we, if we are discussing pulp as in, like, it's specifically the 1920s, 1930s, you know, mm-hmm. that sort of era. Um, I'll be dead honest, I don't know a lot of games that do sit in that era. We have never really had time to discover them much. Uh, I mean, Call of Cthulhu does. We mm-hmm. didn't really talk much about Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um, There's a couple of, uh... but I, I think I think the thing about Call of Cthulhu, I, I would I would actually cite Call of Cthulhu as my as my as my answer here. Okay. What games do you know of that dive into pulp without the troublesome troublesome race or uh, imperialism colonialism? Um, now look, it's funny. It's funny. It's ironic citing Call of Cthulhu. Based on the works of H.P. Lovecraft, mm-hmm. King Racist of Racist Mountain, mm-hmm. um, Glad He's Dead, Spit on His Grave, uh, that uh, as my example of a game that that doesn't lean into those tropes, and I I know that in several ways it does. I mean the the, the titular game call or the, the story Call of Cthulhu, um is deeply racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's outright says, you know, like black savages howling at the moon. I'm just awful, awful stuff like that. Um, but I, I think as a game though, um, so when, when, when it is put, when it's taken away from Lovecraft and put into our living rooms, mm-hmm. you know, we have the opportunity to tell a bunch of different story. And I think simply because Call of Cthulhu tends to be very externally focused. Mm-hmm. Um, the investigators aren't necessarily the ones driving the action. It's more somebody else is trying to do something evil. An evil thing is happening. A monster is on the loose, whatever. And the investigators are trying to deal with that and contain it and maintain normalcy and figure out what's going on, try to retain their own sanity and livelihoods at the same time. Um 
where you don't have that sort of external drive to like, we should go here and screw with these people and steal their artifacts. Right. You know, if you're stealing an artifact in a Call of Cthulhu game, it's usually because that that artifact is trying to open a portal to some, you know, far realm where Azathoth is going to, you know, come through a gateway and destroy our reality. Yep. You know, and you need to, you need to steal it so that it doesn't do that. Yep. Um, yep. That's my answer. I think it's good. Right. Um, does Pulp lean towards a? Is it? It's it's Manichian. Manichian. Manichian universe. Now this is the one we had to look. Up. We had to look this word up. I'd never seen this word before, uh, but it is in reference to a black and white uh, view of things. Yeah. View of things of like there are good people, there are bad people, there are heroes, and there are villains. Mm-hmm. Um. I think it does. I th- and this is where we were talking, like, where we have a little bit of a difference of opinion on it. I think modern pulp, the pulp revival, adds in an element of gray. Um, but I think classic true pulp is a-, a hard definition between white hats and black hats and-, and good guys and bad guys. It is easily defined within the story of who is whose. Now, can someone secretly be a turncoat? Could you have a spy amongst you? Of course. And that but they're a villain and you're detecting they're a villain as the reader, but maybe the main character isn't until the last minute. Sure, sure. But it's still they're a villain. Yeah, someone someone being trusted until they betray you doesn't make them gray, it just makes them a villain who's very clever. Correct. Correct. Um so I think in that sense Pulp does lean very much into that concept. And, and, and belief structure. Uh, yeah, I, I, I very much agree with you. Um, I, I again, you know, like I, I'm kind of looking at the pulp revival rather than classic pulp. Mm-hmm. Um, in that we, you do, you do get a little more wiggle room in your heroes right. and your villains. Um, I, you, you lean toward justified as an answer to that, and I think that's, I think that's a good way of like justified is an interesting pulp revival to a degree. Yeah, I, I really, I really liked uh, honestly all the all the writings of uh, um, Elmore Leonard. Mm-hmm. Um, his characters were very pulpy, but from the standpoint of like his, it wasn't necessarily white hats and black hats. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't so Manichian as that. Uh, but your like the the two main the two main characters of Justified. You got Boyd Crowder as the villain, mm-hmm. and you've got Raylan Givens as the uh, the hero. And every so and then, Raylan would do something crappy. Mm-hmm. But it never made him a villain, and he always walked back from that line. You know? Right. He always he always put the black uh, the, the white hat back on. Mm-hmm. And Boyd Crowder would sometimes do something decent, but that never made him not the villain. Mm-hmm. You know, he always put the black hat back on at the end of the day. Right. Um. And I I really like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I like. Because it gives a little more dimension. Your your characters become a lot more three-dimensional there, but they still fall into their distinct categories, and you never question who the heroes and who the villains are. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes mm-hmm. that I think paints both aspects to a degree is a scene where um, Boyd is cuffed by a state, a quote-unquote state police guy, and he's being escorted past Raylan... Or trying to get past Raylan and I think Boyd's girlfriend at the time, uh, out of this bar, and Raylan is like, "Who are you?" And he's just like, "Oh, I work for you know, I work for the sheriff." Yeah, I just talked to him five minutes ago, and he never said anything about you. 
what are you doing here? Well, I'm mm-hmm. taking him in. Well, that's fine and all. I'm, you know, let, let, I'm sorry. Let me explain who I am. Right. You know, and he, he explains who really he is. Really, U.S. Marshal Service. U.S. Marshal yeah. So, like, tell me again what the heck you're doing with him because, mm-hmm. like, I've got this. And he's just like, well, I'll be taking him to my car. to be like, so you better step. And he's like, wait a second. Just take a minute here. Did you just give me an order? <laughs> <laughs> right. You, you know, you are a sheriff deputy. Just looked at a U.S. marshal and gave me an order. And then he threatens him. The The state trooper threatens him, mm-hmm. starts to reach for his gun, and Raylan puts three rounds in him in an instant yep. between two quote-unquote innocent people. And Boyd is surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's been kind of nice through this whole interaction while being cuffed. Like, yes, I'm going in. Yes, I did something wrong. Like... I even let this guy, you know, cuff me without a question. Well, Robert, you see, Boyd Crowder is at nothing else to a fault a polite individual, <laughs> even when under duress. <laughs> and and that's that's the thing. Uh, and I, I I will I will have to say that uh, that that kind of leads into our next topic a little bit. But yeah. the whole point of it is is that you get that gray in there where Raylan even says, God, I hope I got that right. Yeah. <laughs> because he just laid out a dude for, for the, for the record. He did. The guy was an imposter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but the point of the matter is it's pulp. You know, he's an imposter. Mm-hmm. There's no question in the viewer's mind that he got it right. Yeah. Yeah. That's never going to be a point of order later. Somebody might get on his case, but only if that builds the story. The narrative is not important that that happened, yep. and no one will discuss yep. that gunfight. It will It will give him a chance to prove that he was the good guy. It will never muddy the waters. Correct. You know? yeah. Correct. And that is, the, that is the quintessential part of Pulp, is you can't question <laughs> within the narrative. Mm-hmm. You cannot question the actions that have been committed by the hero. Yeah. It, it, it never comes under scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So... Another aspect of your game must be, if you're running pulp, is your heroes are just doing heroic things. And no matter what the action comes out as, it's never going to be brought up by some leader in a town later of like, yeah, you did, you know, thoroughly execute those goblins. Like, shouldn't you have kept? That's never going to be a question. Yep. Ever. Yep. Never kind of come up. It was heroic. They did what they needed to do. Everybody's happy at the end of the day. A villain will bring that up and morally question them every time. Of course. But that's the only person because in the Because the narrative. villain sows doubt. Correct. Yeah. And moral questions must come up in pulp. They must resurface on a regular basis of, am I still being the white hat if I let this happen or mm-hmm. if I do this act? Mm-hmm. And the only person who can bring you to that question is the villain. Yep. So. All right, last question. As a new school year is about to start, at least in a lot of countries, what game you haven't played yet would you love to play as a player or as a GM this new school year? Hmm. Well, I'm looking at a stack of stuff I have over in the <laughs> yeah, corner that yes, I got you, from Gen Con. Mr. Just Returned still, from Gen Con. Still hasn't been reviewed yet. With your swag bag. It's true. Um... I am I am interested in running my uh, tiny tavern and, and playing it. So I've, I've got to dig through that book. I really do need to get into it. Um, I kind of want to play in Pirate Bork just to see how it plays. Yeah. 
Like, Morkborg, I think, is a little too grimdark. Mm -hmm. I think Pirate Borg would be fun enough for me to step, you know, to put my toes in the waters, if you will. Sure, sure, sure. Um, they're going to get bit off anyways, but yeah. um, but I think it would be an interesting one to kind of delve into. Um, so, yeah, I th I'm, I'm interested in that. I think also, uh, to, to a, a lesser degree, Brindlewood Bay sounds like a riot. <laughs> Brindlewood Bay sounds like an absolute riot. So I, I think Merkborg would be fun if you play it more like Army of Darkness. Uh, where it's oh. like so so ridiculously grim dark that it becomes comical. Oh, I never even thought about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that would be fantastic. Yeah. No, don't don't take don't take Merkborg seriously. Okay. Don't okay. ever take it seriously. Just lean as far into the darkness as you can with a big smile on your face, and play it like Army of Darkness, where everything's grim and there's an army of skeletons coming off for you, and and your hand went evil, so you had to cut it off and attach a chainsaw to it. <laughs> I love. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like that's I I that that gives me a entirely different feel on that one. Yes. What about you? Oh God, there's, there's too many to name. Um. So for the longest time, I have wanted to play in a Legend of the Five Rings game. You really have. I really have. You've brought it up uh, a number of times. I think I think L five R uh, is is pretty high on that list. Um, you know, other games that I that I would want to play here. I heard um, I heard that at Gen Con, they ran L five R in the D twenty style. But but why though? I I don't know. I think they were just trying to connect with certain people and, and not play the original system, just get the feel for it. And yeah. that makes me sad. Um, you know what? I think, I think, uh, if I'm just going to ride fantasy flights, uh, uh, jock here a little bit longer. Um, uh, I, I think, uh, star Wars edges, the empire would be really fun too. Um, I am not a huge star Wars fan, but the, I, I've, I, I think it would be fun to tell our own Star Wars story mm -hmm. um, that is less uh, uh, less themed around the Skywalker family ruining the entire galaxy. My Mandalorian game was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It was honestly amazing. It felt like a romp. Yeah. It was, it was just fun. It um, was just straight up fun. And, and the dice system fascinates me. It's different. It took a little while to get used to it. It's definitely different, but it, it felt like one of those systems that it would be like the. It's a head scratcher if you read it. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a head scratcher the first four die rolls, but At the least. fifth one you're going to start getting, mm -hmm. and the seventh one is where you're going to be like, okay, I got it, and the tenth one is going to be yeah. like, it's going to be natural. And to I'll you. flat out say this: uh, I'll I'll get you the link to the app. Mm -hmm. It'll make it a lot easier. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Um, but get a set of the dice. It's mm -hmm. worth it just to see them mm -hmm. and get a feel for for how they play out and why the dice are actually almost more confusing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and lastly, because we can't go an episode without without mentioning Free League. No, we can't. Uh, we I, really can't. I would really like to play a game of Alien. I just don't have friends who want to. Yeah, yeah. Free League. If you want to sponsor us and you're listening, please do. <laughs> We we keep reviewing your games. Just send us send us your games. We'll keep reviewing them. So. All right, let's let's wrap this up here. That sounds fantastic. So next week's topic. Yes, uh, we're going to be talking about building a better villain. So we've come a couple of times to villainy. We've talked about villains a lot, but like, what I really want to do with this show is talk about good villains in existing media. Sure. Things that people know, people have seen, and what makes them a good villain, and then reverse engineer that like a mad scientist and extract its DNA. Oh, okay. So and you're, represent. You're telling me this is this is my opportunity to do a case, a forty minute case study on Gul Dukat. Sure. Awesome. Yeah, I'm there for it. Yeah, but we're gonna have to do it on multiples. It can't just be Gul Dukat. All right, all right. 
five. But I think five, five, five. I, I, I think we need to, to find all of our good villains and rank them and find their best parts. Okay. So. Yeah. I think it's great. All right. Well, you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time. We record live on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us up on our Discord. We'd love to uh, hear from you, shoot us some questions, answer here on the air, talk to the other great storytellers there, bounce some campaign ideas off of them. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help us every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Subject, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, Hulu and Sean. We truly appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at Patreon.com slash Arcane Anthems or on Instagram at Arcane Anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geef Frog. You can find that at keyfrog.bandcamp.com or on YouTube Music. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Mirror Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving Thank and supporting you. us. All of our friends who've sat at tables over these years are these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys so much. Love you very much. Good night. Good night.